Good morning, church. Hey, if you're a guest, my name is Rob. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, You're here on a great week. Uh, We're continuing in a series we started just last week called The Bigger Picture. And uh, we're going to be, over these five weeks, we looked at the mission of our church last week, and now we shift our attention into the values, the core values of New Hope Christian Church and the purpose of these core values. And um, we're going to preach through that for five weeks, and then we're going to transition to a series on 1 Corinthians. Uh, But we're excited to look at these core values, what they mean to the church. But here's my challenge to you. Um, If you're like me, a lot of times what affects us corporately as a church body has a profound impact on me individually. And I think today's message is true that way. I think that if you'll allow it, uh, what we're going to talk about today out of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is going to have a profound impact on you individually and us together as a church. Uh, So I'm excited this morning. Hey, if you are a guest with us or if you're a regular attender or a member, we have these white cards that we put in the seat back in front of you or right under your seat. (coughs) If you wouldn't mind grabbing one of these and filling it out, one per family. Uh, A lot of, uh, just, it was incredible. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, Guys, church, we're just here together talking. Let me tell you, yesterday we had a tremendously long list of prayer requests, and it was so cool to sit with the other elders and pray over them. Uh, We prayed over all those prayer requests and got to hear the concerns, the heartbeat of our church. And so this has proved to be a pretty incredible tool. And so if you have prayer requests on the back of that, you just write it out. And our elders get this every week. And every week they pray over this list. Uh, We mark it up. We pray over it. We try to make contact where it needs to be. And so you can also mark if you're interested in learning more about a part of our church. And then just having your information helps us stay in touch with you, uh, helps us stay connected to you, helps us know who is here so that church is more than just a seat on a Sunday that we can take seriously what God's called us to do and shepherd the flock. And so if you would fill that card out, and at the end of our service, we have a time of offering where the tray will go around. You just put that card in, the, in that tray. That really helps us out in the church office. So take a moment while I'm preaching or any other time this morning and fill that out for us. Hey, let's pray this morning, and we're going to jump into the message uh, out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's pray. God, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you that the church is a gathering of, of your people when we come together, we just want to open your word and hear from you. And we want to take communion together today and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And we want to walk out of here refreshed, God. And I believe that that's possible because your word is living and active. Your word has the ability to pierce our hearts, to change our minds, and to empower us to walk out of here refreshed, renewed, grateful, and ready to live on mission. And so that's my prayer this morning. As we look at your word, Father, that you would bless us in that way. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Hey, imagine with me if you could go back to 1972 and invest a dollar in each company in the S&P 500. Which company would provide you the largest return on your investment by the year 2002? You look at that and you're like, okay, that's an interesting question. I was guessing, threw out some guesses on what I thought it might be, and it comes back, I thought maybe it would be GE or IBM or Intel. But according to Money Magazine, based on research that they did with the Ned Davis Research Institute, the answer is none of the above. The correct answer is Southwest Airlines. Now, that, blowed, that just blew my mind, because airlines don't, you're not usually like, oh, an airline generating profit, that's great. That doesn't always happen. But Southwest Airlines would have generated the biggest profit for you over that period of time, led by Herb Keller. And a few weeks ago, I read about a talk that he gave where he described why his company had worked so well. And here's what he said. 
Rather than try to fly to every destination, we deliberately chose to offer only point-to-point flights. Instead of jacking up prices to cover the cost of meals, we decided that we would serve no meals. Instead of assigning seats in advance, we let people choose them as they got onto the plane. And instead of upselling our passengers on glitzy first-class service, we offered only coach. Now, these trade-offs, they weren't by default, but by design. Each and every one of them was a part of a deliberate strategy to keep costs down. We ran the risk of alienating customers who wanted a broader range of destinations. Uh, and we alienated them from the choice of purchasing overpriced meals and so forth. But it was totally clear after the first few years that the trade-offs were well worth it. He said, you have to look at every opportunity and say, well, no, I'm sorry. We're not going to do a thousand different things that really won't contribute much to the end result that we're trying uh, to arrive at. And so he said the reason why Southwest Airlines did such an incredible job was because they knew who they were, they stayed focused on who they were, and while other opportunities came, other uh, desirable opportunities came their way, they made the hard decision to stay true to their values. And look, in ministry, this is why you have core values. When you're in life, whether you're an individual or you're together as a church family, you have core values, and the purpose of the core values is not to help you say no to things, but to help you stay hyper-focused on the yes. This is who God has called us to be to fulfill the mission God has called us on. And so last week we looked at the mission, and the mission that we talked about was God called us to be disciples who make disciples. He called us to live on mission, to see the bigger picture of what he's trying to do in the world, and to not get caught in the trees and miss the forest. You see, this whole series came from that phrase that was offered to me by my grad, one of my grad professors, my grad school professors, who said, hey, don't get caught up in the trees and miss the forest. And so as we think through that, like the mission of Jesus is the forest, but oftentimes in ministry we get caught up in the trees. You see, the purpose of having values is to help you stay hyper-focused on the mission. I'd say the same thing is true in your life as well, individually and in your life as a family. The purpose of a value is to help you stay hyper-focused on what you're called to do and who you're called to be. And so as a church, we have values And the purpose of these values is not to have like cute statements that we can put in different places. It's not even for the acronym, because I'm going to mess the acronym up with this. Uh, We used to have an acronym, our values are best, biblical authority, excellence, strategic stewardship, and transforming relationships. Those are the four values, and they're best. But I'm messing that up, this sermon series. We're going to move some of them around a little bit, just because I don't like acronyms, all right? Uh, But we are going to start with the most important value, biblical authority. We want our number one value at New Hope, the most important value that we will stay true to no matter what, is that we want the Bible to be the ultimate authority in our lives. It is the umbrella over our lives. We want to encourage our people to make the Bible the ultimate authority in their lives, and the Bible as a church will always be our guide. It will always be what we go to, the source that we go to to gain the knowledge that we need to fulfill the mission that we're called on, biblical authority. Now, the question I want to answer this morning, we can go a lot of directions with this, And there'll be a little bit of an apologetic to it this morning. But we're not going into an apologetic-type sermon to defend the historical reliability of the Scriptures. Though the Scriptures are extremely historically reliable, we're going to answer the question, why should the Bible be our ultimate authority, though? Like, let's just say it is reliable. Let's just say it is accurate. Why is it that it should be the ultimate authority over our lives? That's the question I want to answer today. And the question why I want to approach it that way is because I think the people in our culture have done a lot of things with the Bible And they've approached Scripture a certain way. And I just want to bring our attention and focus back to what the Bible tells us about approaching the Bible. And it sounds simple enough, and yet it can get complicated. 
You see, back in uh, 2015, Oprah Winfrey appeared on the Stephen Colbert show. Uh, it's a funny political satire show that, that he hosted. And on this show, uh, she was interviewed, and they got into this uh, impromptu, unplanned discourse on their favorite Bible verses. Now, I don't know about you, but just want to throw this out there. I wouldn't go to Stephen Colbert or Oprah Winfrey for my theological discourse, but it was a fascinating, you can even look it up online, Oprah and, and Colbert discussed Bible verses. And here's what caught my attention in this little discourse that they had. Oprah said, she asked him what his favorite Bible verse was, and he responded with uh, something out of the Gospel of Matthew, a, a command, do not worry. And I like it because I can't ever live up to it, but I'm told I'm not allowed to worry, so somehow that makes me feel better. It's like, okay, weird, but that's fine. And then it got to her, and she said, you know what my favorite Bible verse is? Psalm 37.4, which says, delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then she proceeded to say, and what that means to me is, what I think that means is, the Lord is really whatever you want the Lord to be. And as long as you stay focused on the Lord, your heart is fulfilled. And I thought, this isn't a, a, about trying to pinpoint anything on her. It's simply to say, this is very popular discourse about Scripture in our culture. Pick a Bible verse that sounds really good, throw it on a coffee cup or a calendar, hang it on your refrigerator, and make it say what you want it to say. And when we do that, friends, what happens is inevitably, many of us would never come out and just say that we do this, but this is what happens, and I'm guilty of this in my own life at times, I become the authority on Scripture instead of Scripture becoming the authority on me. You see, I, I put myself as the authority over the Bible and say, well, this is what it means, this is what it says, and I rarely will take the time to say, no, 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 what does it mean and what is it saying to me? What should I submit to? What is it calling me to that's greater or bigger than myself? But when I just want it to say what I want it to say, that can be pretty easy. And so I want to take some time this morning to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and gain some insight on how we might look at Scripture and defend uh, answering the question, why should it be our ultimate authority? Why should the Bible, as you as an individual and us as a church, why should this be our ultimate authority? Now, as I give you these, I'm going to break it down and, and we're going to actually kind of do a little bit of a lesson this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and here's why. As I'm reading through it, I thought, man, this would be great. If somebody were to ask you, as a, as a follower of Jesus in our culture today, why is the Bible so important to you? My prayer is that the sermon today would give you some points that you could bring up. Not all of them. Not a very like, college-level sit-down, let me defend the validity of the Scriptures. But on a practical level, here's why I follow the Bible and allow it to speak as an authority in my life. And so I'm hoping these points will communicate that for you individually as they do for us as a church. And so as we get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 14 to 17. And I want to give you just a little bit of background on this passage. I want to start with a quote, uh, because this is going to kind of drive our understanding of this passage. The quote comes from a preacher named John Piper. He said this, It's a shame that in our theological and political era, the words conservative and liberal are opposites. You see, the true opposite of conserve is to throw away or waste or squander. To conserve means to hold on to, to keep, to maintain. And of course, that can be bad if you hold on to what's harmful, but it can be good if you hold on to what is true and good and helpful. He said, and the true opposite of liberal is stingy, tight-fisted, and uncharitable. To be liberal used to mean generous and free-handed. So before the words became politically and theologically stereotyped, it was good to be both. Hold fast to what is true and good and beautiful and precious and be free-handed and generous and large-hearted with what has been given to you. And so we're going to look at those two words and you're like, of all Sundays, Rob, you're going to bring up liberal and conservative. Yes, I am. We're going to redeem them 
today, all right, out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy is, 2 Timothy is a, a letter written uh, by a mentor to his mentee, if you will. See, the Apostle Paul, uh, the greatest church planter in the history of the world, had planted churches all over uh, the world. And along the way, he met a kid named Timothy. And when he met Timothy, Timothy would have been a middle teenage years. And Paul brings him along and begins to disciple him. And simply spend time with him, pour into him, teach him, challenge him. And over the years, Timothy grew and he matured. In fact, when Paul and Timothy would go into towns, Paul was the strong type of leader. And Paul would oftentimes isolate people, not necessarily on purpose, but because he would hold firm to the truth. People didn't always like that. And so they would do things like stone him and beat him and throw him in prison. You read about this in your New Testament. And they would do all of these things to him, or they would say, hey, it's time, we're going to kill you, and Paul would be run out of town, and they would be chasing him out of town. But the person that didn't always get chased out of town and was able to stay back and kind of clean up a little bit was Timothy. You see, Timothy had a great demeanor about him. He was a pastor. He loved people. He had such a deep love for people that when Paul had this city that he loved named Ephesus, it was Timothy he sent back to Ephesus to pastor that church, to lead that church, to raise up elders, and to love and care for that church. And it was during that ministry, because of the deep love he had for the people, that he even developed stomach ailments because of the stress levels. You see, Ephesus was a city that um, there was a lot of pressure put on Christians to conform to the culture. Listen to God's word, but you can invite all these other voices in, and you can have all these other influences, and you can gain wisdom from all these other sources. It's not that big a deal, Timothy. And Timothy's trying hard to raise up quality men, and he's losing hope. And then this letter arrives, First and Second Timothy, two separate letters, where his spiritual father begins to remind him of truth and begin to pour into him and tell him the potential that he has because of what God had called him to and what God was going to do and what staying firm to the word would be. And part of that encouragement comes in Second Timothy chapter 3. And so I don't know about you, but I like to do this every once in a while. It's probably not something you want to do all the time, but I like to think of somebody who I love deeply sitting down to pen these words to me occasionally. Because I need this reminder too. Man, I need this reminder. There are weeks where just, not just about leading a church, but even following Jesus gets so heavy and difficult, and I need to be reminded of the words that Paul used to remind Timothy. And so my prayer this morning is if you need these words, that they would find uh, your heart and give you encouragement and refreshment. What I'm going to do is read through the the verses that I want to preach on, and we're going to go back and slowly go through them. Okay, so let's read God's word together. You know what? Let's stand together and read the word of of God. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You can have a seat. So I want to walk you through a few things here to help you understand why we hold so tightly to this at our church. The first reason uh, why we hold to the truth is this. I hold to biblical authority in my personal life, and I hold to biblical authority in helping lead the church because of the people who taught us along the way. Notice what he says here. He says, As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. 
See, knowing from whom you learned it. See, Timothy had an incredible mom and grandma who poured into him and gave him incredible instruction in his life. And look, we're in a church, friends, that's incredible because there are multiple generations of believers. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in this letter earlier would tell Timothy, hey, what you've seen in me, and I've called you to live in your own life, I want you to entrust it to faithful men who will raise up other men. He calls him to a multi-generational type of faith. And I love watching parents and grandparents instruct and lead their children to the Lord. Now look, why it's our ultimate authority? This is not an infallible reason, because people are not infallible. I didn't grow up in a family that led me toward honoring the scripture and allowing it to be the ultimate authority in my life. And I know for a fact that there are people in our church who are in the same boat. When you grew up, you weren't instructed to go to the scriptures for your source of wisdom. You weren't led to the Bible. But there are others in our church who you're here today because faithful people tirelessly poured into you the need for you to go to the scriptures. And for that, we should be grateful That is a reason why we should pursue biblical authority in our lives. Why? Because we believe that the people who taught us were credible people. It's a credible testimony. Look, this quote again from Piper. He says this, Reliable testimonies are a valid source of true knowledge, and the quality of the witnesses increases the credibility of the testimony. And so when you have somebody who you just know is an incredible person who you admire and you look up to, and their deepest desire is that you would love and honor the Word of God, and that the Word of God would be the ultimate source of wisdom for you, that they pour over the Word of God with you, and they read the Word of God with you. Now look, I want that for my kids. Let me tell you though, right now, We talked about this the other day. Devotion time in my house is discipline time in my house. This is not this incredible moment where we said, children, gather around. Father will open the word. And we sit. It doesn't happen in my house. It doesn't. When I say tirelessly, I am tired when it comes to devotion time with my kids. I'm tired. We sit around and I open the word of God and I try to get them to, to listen and not play with that and not do that and stop hitting him and move over there and spread out. Everybody stop. Sit on your hands. Don't talk. I'm reading the Bible. And then you're like, oh, now it's, I just need to apologize to him <laughs> instead of reading. But that's what tirelessly is. When it's difficult and in the sweet moments where my son asks me deep questions about what I just read to him hoping that over a period of time they would look back on their childhood and they would say, I believe in the authority of the scriptures because the person and the people who poured into me from a young age. Friends, we need to be a church that understands with gratitude where we've come from. This church started on the foundation of our first core belief, our first core value, that the Bible is our ultimate authority. The second thing is this, the writings themselves, not just the people who taught you the truth, but the actual writings themselves. And here's what he says. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he says one of Paul's things here is that the message itself has power. uh, It has an actual power to change people. In this case, Paul reminds Timothy that the scriptures give a kind of wisdom that that can lead a person to salvation. He says the actual writing, what was actually written here, has such an incredible power 
that somebody, think about this, friends, somebody, if you're, it, which this doesn't happen, but they're stranded on an island and, and they're, they're doomed because they don't know Jesus, but they have a Bible. They have the ability there, if they read this from front to back because of the power of these words, to go from unsaved to saved. They need somebody to lead them to that and people expound on that. But when you were unsaved and lost and alienated, it was these incredible words poured out from God that gave you the message that ultimately led you to, to make a decision and be baptized. Think about it. That wasn't just somebody like throwing out words to you. Like this was actually the power of these words to change you. I've watched the power of these words change a bad dad into a good father. I've watched the power of these words take young people whose future seemed doomed and lead them into powerful ministry that changed lives. I've watched the power of these words, the actual power of these words, infiltrate a marriage that seemed headed for divorce and reconcile two people to a love like they never had before. You see, Paul is telling Timothy, don't don't desert. He says, hold firm. Be conservative with this. Hold tight to this truth. Don't let other voices and influences come in. Why? Because this is the only source of power. Sure, you might get other influences and you might gain wisdom from all kinds of other things, but this is the only thing that has the power to change lives forever. Do you believe that this morning? I mean, do we really believe that? When I open this up right now, we're reading through Exodus as a church. I'm reading the pages of Exodus. I'm watching what God did through Moses. And I'm wondering, man, God, that power in these words. And I, I come to the New Testament. I'm reading the Psalms in the heart of David in, in, a, in a prayer time. Am I believing that these words have power to change lives? I've heard many people say often uh, in leadership talks, and in, you, you want to learn how to be a good leader, and so you go to these talks and you read these books, and it says, hey, you, young, you want to pour into young people because they can still change. And, but when somebody hits a certain age, it's really hard for them to change, and they can't change. I say, I don't know about that anymore because of the power that this book has to change anybody. You can be 8 or 80, and this can still change everything for you. But my concern is the voices that we listen to. When we go to reading practical self-help books, which are not bad. You can read a self-help book. Hello, like, please, it's okay. You can gain wisdom from these things. But when, when I have couples that say, I'd rather read a devotional than the Word of God. Like, we'd rather just read what someone says about God's Word than actually get into God's Word. And let me just tell you, what someone says about God's Word might be good, but it pales in comparison to the power of actually opening this book and getting into it and reading it and allowing these words to influence you. So Paul's big concern is, hold to biblical authority. Let it be the biggest value in your life because it is the only source of life-changing, life-giving power in your life. The scriptures prepare your mind and heart to see Jesus for who he really is. So oftentimes we get caught in the trees of life. We lose sight of this and we need to be reminded. We need to like zoom out and see the forest. Man, it's not just a tree there. There's a whole forest. That forest is Jesus. And I lose sight of him when I lose sight of reading his word. The third, so not only is it just the people who taught us the truth and the writings themselves, but it's also the writers, not just the writings of Scripture, it's the writers of Scripture. And so I want you to compare what Paul is saying to Timothy in this passage with what, what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Guys, feel free to pull out your phones, take pictures of this, write these down. I, just, I want you to know these Scriptures. But in 2 Peter 1, 21, it says this, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what Peter emphasizes here is that it's not just the writings, but the writers that were inspired. 
God carried them, so to speak. He influenced their minds so that God's word is spoken truly by the prophets. And so what, what that says is this. When I read this, oftentimes, I have family members who aren't believers. Many of you do too. And a lot of the conversations is, well, like, you're just reading what Paul thinks about God. You're just reading what somebody uh, thinks about God and what somebody interprets it to mean. And yet what Peter just got done saying is, no, 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 that's not true. Because not only is there power in the writings of Scripture, but the writers of Scripture were so heavily influenced by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's as if God said, pause on their minds and influence them so that it would be his words and only his words that came through their effort and work. Now, you do read personal accounts of different characters in the Bible, but friends, understand this. The Holy Spirit is real, and he's powerful, and he's influenced the writers of Scripture so that our confidence cannot be in these individuals, but in the Holy Spirit who inspired these individuals, that God would actually come and speak through them, that this isn't just something we hold on to to have fun in our lives, or we don't just read this because we think it sounds good. We understand that the Holy Spirit of God influenced the penmanship of these writers, and he protected it over time. Now, a lot of people want the historical reliability of Scripture. Let me just throw out one thing for you. This, I love this. I come back to this often when I need courage. That over a period of time, the Bible has proved to be true over and over and over again. It has endured skepticism. In fact, God is not scared of your skepticism. He welcomes it. He says, open it. And many a person has opened this book to try to prove these inspired writers wrong. And by the end of it, they go back to what we just got done saying, and the power of the writing comes out, and they end up becoming Christian. Over a period of time, it has endured skepticism. It has endured much persecution and the attempt of people to get it out of law, out of schools, out of culture, and yet it remains. This book is not scared of persecution. It endures all persecution and will never be stopped. Because the Holy Spirit of God inspired these writers to communicate to us. And because of that, we can have confidence that over any period of history, this has endured. And it still remains as our ultimate, incredible authority in our lives. So, the writings of Scripture, the writers themselves in Scripture. Let's move on to number four here. The source of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this, All of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God's influence, this is a quote I want to put on the screen, God's influence was not simply on the mind of the writers in general, but his attention to the process of scripture creation was such that when their minds and hands composed actual scripture words, these words were so much God's words that Paul says the writings themselves are breathed out by God. And so Paul himself says, in a sense, this is not even me writing. Paul says that every word of the New Testament, every word of the Bible, the entire Bible that you read, is actually such a powerful thing that God actually breathed these words out. Like when you open this up, friends, when you do devotions, to, you spend time in God's word, God has actually spoken these words. We lose sight of that. Man, I will never stop being passionate about that. Because for too many years in my life, I was lost. Too many years in my life, I was searching for meaning and hope and purpose. And I looked everywhere that I possibly could. 
in every single direction that I possibly could until I came to the realization that the creator of the universe, think about this. Now, this gets lost on us when we come to church every week and we engulf ourselves in Christian culture, which we should, but it gets lost on us. The creator of the universe, the God who created the cosmos, the God who created everything that you've ever seen, every bit of incredible parts of creation, he created it all. And he loves to talk to you when you open his word. He breathed out these words so that he could communicate to you. Man, I love that. And my fear when I was getting ready to preach this and to explain to you why it's our ultimate authority as a church was that it would just seem lame to you. Oh, yeah, Rob, we've heard that. Oh, yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. We, we're here every week. We get it. We understand. God's word, yep, understood. God breathed out the words. It's good. I get it. You realize that when that doesn't impact your heart in a powerful way, there's nothing wrong with this. There's something wrong with your heart. The word, the, man, the God of the universe wants to talk to you. When I say God's crazy about you, this proves it. Because he just wants to talk to your heart. So much so that he breathed out this entire book for you to communicate with him and to talk to him. And as a church, this is why leadership's important. This is why we can hone in our attention and our focus, because our number one question, anytime we're asked to do anything as a church, number one question, what's the Bible teach? What's God's word say? Does this line up with the word of God? Does this teaching or this thing that we want to put out in front of our church or this, this program that we want to start in our church, how does it line up with our understanding of what God's word teaches? Number one question, always will be, never going to apologize for it. But let me ask you this, in your personal life, is that one of the top questions that you ask? hey, we're going to go on vacation and it looks like we're going to have to miss church for a few weeks and not gather with the people of God and so it'll be fine, no big deal. What's God's word say about that? Do not forsake the assembling of the saints as some are in the practice of doing, but make it your desire to be with God's people. Okay, um, I'm a little too nervous to talk to somebody about Jesus, so I'm not going to go through the effort of, of attending a discipleship training to learn how to overcome that fear to live out the mission of God. I'm just going to ignore it, and just I'll show up every week, and I'll sit in a seat, and I won't live it out. In my, what's the Bible teach? Friends, it's uncomfortable, and I'm not, I didn't say your name, and I'm not ever going to say your name like that, but the challenge for me and the challenge for you is to make the Bible our ultimate authority in our lives. And so it's the people who taught us the truth, the writings themselves, the writers of Scripture, the source of Scripture, and then last, it is the wisdom that the Scriptures provide. Now this is where i got to humble myself a little bit here. Uh, I am not a very, um, uh, like, there's certain things that I just kind of always used to think were kind of goofy, all right? And so I'm really going to throw myself, don't, uh, no emails, deal? I'll tell you if you say no emails. No emails, don't come after me after this one. But I used to think when people would get into a new year and they'd pick a word, this is my word, I love it. I used to think that was like goofy and I just didn't like it and it wasn't something that I thought was like, why do you do that? You pick a word? Like, how about all the words? Like, don't pick a word. And then God put a word on my heart this year. Late last year, I couldn't shake it and it just has become the thing that I'm pursuing this year. And the word is wisdom. It's wisdom. The word came for me out of James chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, if, if any one of you lacks wisdom, if any one of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Come to him. Like, God, I just want to be a wise leader. I want to be a wise father. I want to be a wise husband. I want wisdom in every part of my life. Ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You want to be wise? Seek it from the Lord. 
Go back to the ultimate authority in your life. And then Paul comes and he says, and here's the ultimate source of wisdom for your life. It won't come from anywhere else. He says, all of scripture is breathed out by God and it's good. And let me describe wisdom for you for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that you would be complete. And I want you to know complete in Greek, it means complete, whole, full, that your life would find absolute good purpose and meaning, and, and you would know the mission you're called, and you'd be equipped for every good work in your life. You want to have a life of purpose and meaning. Paul says it starts and ends right here. You want your church to pursue godly things and have an influence in the community and to have a really big impact. It starts and ends right here. This has to be the ultimate authority in your life. And friends, it's not always going to be popular. And here's what I promise you. I promise you if you begin to make decisions based on this, it will get hard. It will get difficult. And there will be voices everywhere else. And then there's going to be the temptation to just do what you want to do, which hits all of us. Like, I know what the Bible teaches, but I just don't want to do it. So I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't know about you, but each time I've made that decision, I always end up where I don't want to end up. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, if we always do what we want to do, we're going to end up where we don't want to be. In my own personal life, if I just make the decisions that I want to make and I do the things that I want to do, I'm going to end up in places I don't want to be. And it might seem like I want to be there when I make the decision, but a continual return to my own wisdom, my own gut, my own instinct gets me to a place where I look back and I say, how did I get here? How did that happen? Man, I didn't see that coming. And Paul says here, you can avoid that by not just doing what you want to do, but come to the word of God and live a life in pursuit of surrender to the obedience and obedience to God's word. Let me conclude this way. Guys, when we submit to biblical authority in our lives individually and as a church, we are actually submitting to God's bigger picture for our lives. Realize that, that when you submit to the authority of Scripture in your personal life, your life as a family, and us as a church collectively, when we pursue biblical authority as our number one value, we are actually submitting to God's bigger picture for our lives. And instead of trying to run our own lives, we're submitting to God, you see the forest, I can't see the forest. And so I just want to come back to what you describe as the forest, and I want to live my life according to what you describe in this incredible book that you have written to me. And I want to live my life that way. I don't want to miss the big picture, God. I don't want to arrive at the end of my life and think, uh-oh, man, I missed it. I was so hyper-focused on these trees right here that I missed the forest. Your number one regret at the end of your life will not be that you didn't make enough money, have a big enough house, know enough people, have a big enough impact. And number one regret at the end of your life is that you didn't live up to the potential that God had for your life. An incredible potential that he communicates to you through his word. Let me illustrate it this way. In Dece on December 29, 1972, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 crashed into the Florida Everglades. It killed over 100 passengers. It was the first ever um, crash of a wide-body aircraft, and it was the biggest one in U.S. history at the time. And what was so surprising about this airline crashing into the Everglades was that when they did the full evaluation afterwards, they found out the airplane was in perfect condition. Nothing was wrong with it. Until they realized that the flight crew, the captain and the co-pilot, when they went to get ready for landing, they were starting to think through getting ready for landing, there was a green indicator light that let them know that the, the, the front end gear was working or not working. The front end gear was working just fine. The indicator light broke. So this entire crew is focused on this one little green indicator light, and what they failed to see as they were hyper-focused on one green light was that autopilot turned off. While they were focused on this, 
They were losing altitude at such a rate that by the time they realized the bigger picture, it was too late. The plane crashed. Spiritually speaking, friends, we've experienced this. You've experienced this in your life. You get so hyper-focused on being successful and making money and doing a good job for your family that you missed a bigger picture of what's most important to your family, which is time spent. I get so focused and hyper-focused and all of my attention on the trees that are right in front of me of, of leading a morally upright family and having a good standing in the community, and I missed a bigger picture of instilling in my kids a deep love for the Word of God that will carry them through the hard times when I can't be there for them. I get so hyper-focused and my own marriage of making sure that I'm served so that I can serve and, and, and that she's doing what I want so that I can do what she wants and it's this trade-off and I missed a bigger picture that I didn't come into marriage to uh, be served but to serve her. And that comes from Scripture. As a church, we can get so focused on pleasing all the people that are here that we miss the bigger picture of the mission God's called us to in reaching people. A little green indicator light, and we can get so focused on programs and, and providing 100,000 different opportunities for 100,000 different desires that we lose the bigger picture of who we are in this community and who we're called to be. We can get so hyper-focused as a church on programs that we miss the big picture of people. And friends, the reason we have these values is not to focus on the no, but to be hyper-focused on the yes of who God has called us to be. And friends, when you look at your own family, this next week, one of the challenges I would have for you is this. Sit down and evaluate. What are our core values? What drives our decision-making? If my kids were sat down in a room and they said, what's the most important thing to your mom and dad? Don't you dare ask them right now. <laughs> what would they say? If your kids, no matter how old they are, said, hey, looking back, what was the most important thing? Doesn't have to stay that way. The Bible communicates this beautiful thing called grace. Grace changes everything. Grace says right now, today, the Bible can become your ultimate authority. Well, friends, as a church, as we march into the future together as a church, there will be things that we say no to. Not because we want to, but because we feel we're led to be this group of people in this time, in this place. And because of that, we want to be governed by these values, the ultimate one being that we submit to the authority of the Bible because of who has taught us the Bible, because of the writings, because of the writers, and because of the wisdom that it imparts to us and because it was breathed out by the creator of the universe to have a profound influence on our relationship with him. I pray as we move forward, you would pursue this with us as well.